I'm Cassidy Hall. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Carl McCollman, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence. To learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all-too-noisy world. What role does silence play in education? What role does silence play in the arts? These are big questions. To explore these topics, today we are happy to welcome to our podcast the British educator, writer, and artist, Dr. Helen Lees. Dr. Lees is an independent scholar of alternative education, silence, and sexuality. She is an associate research fellow at York St. John University. She is the founding editor-in-chief of Other Education, the Journal of Educational Alternatives, and was the founding convener of the British Educational Research Association's Alternative Education Special Interest Group. Her books include Education Without Schools, Discovering Alternatives, and Silence in Schools. Dr. Lees appears in the movie In Pursuit of Silence, and a transcript of her interview appears in the book that Cassidy co-wrote with Patrick Shen, Notes on Silence. Dr. Helen Lees, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you for having me. We love to hear people's stories about silence and about their relationship with silence. So to begin our conversation, we just would like to invite you to just share some initial thoughts about your encounter with silence, your relationship with silence, how silence became part of your story. Well, I was about probably about 14 when I first noticed it. Uh, as I said in the um, In Pursuit of, of Silence film, I, I had this great view out of my window. And so I, I could pop my head out of the window and feel part of nature. And I didn't realize this at the time, but I've later come to academically conceive uh, of nature as the source of silence. So I think I was in, in touch with, with silence in a, in a very easy way, uh, living in that house and having that bedroom with the view. But then a series of things happened when I was at university. I, I got ill. I, I got meningitis and I had some... Um, strange experiences when I was uh, you know really poorly with that when I was recovering later I had another strange experience and it made me look towards silence in a very profound and and particular way and so that I those uh, those experiences put me on a path you could say to wanting to know more about it although I didn't call it that at the time, I think I called it God. And so I was of the impression that I'd been given some kind of vocation back then. And 
that coincided with silence being something that made me very happy. I was meditating. So I, I, I came to understand what a great thing it was uh, around the age of 20. And then, and then when I was 22 or 3, somebody introduced me to uh, Vedanta and, and I became a meditator. And yeah, I got, I got into meditation. Mm. And the most particular thing that happened then was I started to call it something. I was calling it, this, this wasn't coming from outside of myself, you know, in terms of a cultural reference or anything like that. I just started to call it the great silence. Um, and later I've discovered that other people have also called it that. There's, there's a film called that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems that I, I'd met something and I haven't really unmet it since, although having a relationship with this, this great silence is very lucky, but also very particular in that, well, you need to work hard to deserve to be with it. Yeah. Helen, I, I love um, what you're saying about this idea of silence giving you a sense of vocation. And just, uh, you know, one of my favorite lines that you said in, in, in Pursuit of Silence was, and I will repeat this to myself constantly, you said that silence returns us to what is real. And and you also go on to say that, you know, it's not necessarily sugar-coated. Um, you know, the, the truth is not necessarily that sugar-coated. And I like this idea of, how silence returns us to what is real in ourselves and who we are and what we're being called to. Would you say that silence has been kind of that, that meeting place for you of your true self-expression and kind of pointing you the direction of where to go vocation-wise and, and also just revealing who you are? I think for me it goes back to deserving to be with it and also having the circumstances that are conducive. It was once said to me, when I was, yeah, without any language to describe what was happening, I was living in a, a rented little house and I was spending a lot of time by myself. I was drawing a lot and that's quite a silent thing and I don't do it to music. So I was spending a lot of time in silence and I, I mentioned this to somebody who was uh, religiously trained or I'm not quite sure how to say that, but they were a religious person of some description and, and their comment, which I think is a great comment, I, I was pretty, I was feeling pretty hard done by at the time. Um, I thought, you know, where, where's my life? What am I going to be? Who am I going to be? Nobody cares about me. All these kinds of thoughts. And when mm. I described that I had, his reply was, what grace? And then I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't realize it was a lucky situation. And I started to reflect mm. on that. I thought, well, actually, how lucky one is to be able to be silent and calm and to spend time in one's own company like that without any distractions and and so as I've gone through my life since then and that's sort of 25 years later I've, I've come to appreciate much more that silence is something that we are with both on account of some kind of grace but also because we we call for it and we want it and and we're prepared mm. to give up things to be with it. I mean, recently I've had a change in circumstance. I was a busy academic and, well, I mean, I was certainly sort of mid-career point when, when I did the, the silence film with 
you, you know, you all and uh, talk to you about silence on that film. And since then, I mean, as I, as I mentioned in one of the panels after a screening, I think it was in London. Yeah, my life kind of got busy and the silence film was sort of good for me in a way, uh, which was making me busier and busier and more sort of popular, you, you could say, in terms of being a public person. And what happened was not only, I mean, I, I'd, I'd just uh, adopted a child, so that's always going to affect your, your being with silence for sure. But the, the business of the career, I think, was the real killer in that I found that I didn't really have much time for silence. And also I was losing the mindset for it. And so that point where I mentioned that in the panel after the film screening, I suddenly realized, oh, hang on a minute. This is this is not good. And and then uh, from that point onwards, I think it's fair to say that grace started to come back into my life because I think I wanted I wanted to return to the silence because it is the most important thing. So I, all I'll say about that is I'm no longer in a busy academic career and I'm sort of back to that kind of space where I was before, where I was sort of in that house drawing by myself quietly. I mean, it's not the same because I have a family and, and I'm older, so I've got more responsibilities and I've got more sense of myself in the world. So life is a lot fuller than it was back then, but I now have, by the grace of God, which is how I describe it, I have the ability to choose silence again. And and so in that sense, to answer you, Cassidy, I'm, I'm back to myself and I'm back to the real. That was a long detour. And I don't mind that I had that long detour, but it was just that, it was a detour. Hmm. This is so good. I'm kind of would like to follow up and ask the question because you've said it a couple times now and it feeds into, I think, what you just said. Something about this idea of deserving silence. That's that's interesting. Could you could you flesh out what you mean by that? Because that could go in a bunch of different directions. Well, I mean, who are we, right, to get get such an amazing state of mind? I don't think we ever deserve it, but we're given it. And that and that's part of what I was talking about in the Silence in Schools book that I wrote that came out in 2012. It's about the generosity of this material. Mm. You know, we don't have qualifications to be with it or to experience it. We don't really do anything brilliant to, to get that glory in our life. And yet there it is. I, th- I think it that that's for me what... what characterizes it as, as so generous. I mean, for me, it is much more valuable than having, say, millions of dollars of, of money or, you know, fantastic possessions, however we came upon them or, or, or whatever. It, it's the most precious material in the world. And if I'm lucky enough to, to get access to it, yeah, whoopee. I, did, I didn't pay for it. I don't deserve it. But I'm glad and I'm grateful that I have it. Mm. See, what I love about that answer, that you that's why I'm glad I asked, is because I, I could see somebody hearing that about deserving it. And there's a sense of, uh, like, uh, masochistic. You could be, like, beat yourself up like I'm a lousy human being, I don't deserve it. But that's not your language here. Your language here is, I can't earn it. It's a generosity. There's some sense of humbleness or, or humility toward it that you're kind of indicating here as opposed to like I'm a worm and I don't deserve it or something 
Well, when I was doing the, the book, it struck me a number of times that what I was encountering with silence as material was spoken about in the New Testament. Mm. I'm not interested in silence being uh, affiliated with any particular religious path, because for me, it's uh, totally devoid of any need of characterization like that. But it it is true that I did encounter, as far as I'm concerned, some of the phrases that I grew up with. And, uh, and the one that, re that is relevant to what we're talking about here is, um, yeah, I don't know the Bible so well, but it's uh, everyone who, who has any clue of the Bible, they'll probably recognize this, which is a uh, knock and it shall be opened mm. unto you, mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is how, for me, silence is. It, it's not going to say, no, you're not coming in. And all we have to do is knock. Mm. Helena, another thing that you've said that's that's really stuck with me is when you express that silence is democratic. It allows everyone equal platform, because if nobody is talking, nobody's dominating. And I think it's I think it's bell hooks that says something about to the effect of where there's domination, there's not love. And it, you know, you're talking about these words like grace, and and I wonder if if you found silence to be also a, a loving space also, even though sometimes it does take us to those dark places. Well, I mean, what I can't get a, get a, a away from or around or deny is that my experience, and this is only mine, and I'm not suggesting this should be other people's or, or would be, but my experience of silence is it is, it is kind of like a person. Yeah, and it's, it's a very loving person. I, you don't want to spend time with with something or someone that that doesn't love you, but if you do, there's always going to be some kind of instrumental reason for it. And frankly, there's no instrumentality in silence. Why would you spend time with silence for instrumental reasons? I can't think mm. of a single. It's just not going to deliver. So yeah, it is it is loving loving in that sense. Helen, I appreciate you're using the word grace. We, we've talked about you talking about deserving silence, but also this notion of grace. I'm wondering if, if you could just maybe explore that a little bit further with us and your sense of what is grace and how we meet grace through silence. And I'm also interested in this, maybe particularly in terms of your work as an artist. And so... I know this question's getting kind of big, but how you meet silence and how you meet grace in your creative work as well. It's all of a piece in that none of it is really uh, my doing. So I'm going to take the question backwards. And when I'm doing art that works out well, I don't know. I mean, is it me that does that? It's... I can't honestly say that it's me that does that. It just happens and it's very enjoyable to be a part of it. And then with respect to the grace of silence or in silence, uh, they're, they're one and the same thing. So, I mean, I, d I don't know what grace is if it isn't silence. And I don't know what silence is if it isn't grace. <laughs> I, I just have to, I have to chime in here because I, I want our listeners to know, Helen, I just love the way it, it looks as, I'm not sure if I'm being accurate, but it looks like you're looking out the window yeah, at, nat at nature when you're, when you're talking and, and navigating your thoughts. And I, I just find that so beautiful and important. And another, another message that silence is ingrained in this conversation, 
because you're allowing that space. I just love that. I, I can see the reflection uh, in your eyes of, of the nature outside. Well, when I was answering that question uh, about grace, I needed to look at the trees that I can see in the distance because for whatever reason, the grace is in the trees. Well, this maybe this leads us into a question that we often like to ask our guests, and that is how you understand silence in, re in relation to location or to place. Uh, is there a particular place that you go to to more fully enter into silence, and that could be going to in your in your thoughts and in your mind and heart, but also in a physical sense. Well, uh, I think, yeah, I think that without doing the whole Christian pointing to the sky, there's heaven up there kind of thing. For me, looking at the sky is really helpful, and then beneath the sky, if there happen to be some trees. That's really helpful as well. So it's good because it's sort of multi-location, you know. I mean, wherever you go, you you often meet a bit of sky and a bit of trees. The, the sea is also a good one. So I suppose the sky plus whatever's below it that's natural, it, it works. I'm curious. Here we are talking... Cassidy mentioned about have, having this moment of silence looking out the window and having that space and letting that dialogue... I'm kind of curious as to if you could unpack for us from your writing and from the movie, how that connects with knowing and education. How, how do you see silence and education, that space? Because not everyone has read your book. And so I'd like to uh, articulate that. Like what, what is about silence and education? Could you link that up for us here briefly? Yeah, I can actually, surprisingly, given how complex both things are. I would identify it with, and, and Jesus comes to mind, because I think he was a pretty right-on guy. Uh, he was into all things other and alternative, or you could call it the marginal people in society, or whoever was cast aside, i.e. the not fashionable, not elite, not well-regarded people and stuff. You know, So when it comes to silence and when it comes to education, no, let me put that another way. When it comes to education, there's a there's an inset of ideas, and unfortunately, most of them are kind of toxic mm -hmm. and either mildly or significantly violent. And they're the ones that are deemed to be the correct ideas and the ones that people need to submit themselves to. And they're full of words that, underpin their righteousness and they're not righteous at all and those people need to be quiet and enter into the silence and they'll probably come out as alternative educationists because they'll realize how inhumane the project that they're involved in is and it's doing them harm and it's doing other people harm so with silence i find that you can find and this goes back to that that issue of being with the real you can find what's real. And for me, what's real educationally is that people are free uh, and their curiosity is facilitated and that there's this democratic ethos among all the people who are involved. Thank you. That's lovely. And cuts right to the chase. Well, the, the thing about 
silence as a material is is this equalizing democratic thing which I've spoken about in the book and it's it's it is curious to me that the kind of education which I have found from research about education, there's enough research and I'm convinced from research, not just personally convinced, um, I'm convinced from the research that I've read, mm-hmm. that an education that has a democratic ethos is a good education and is safe for people to be to, to, to grow up in um, and, and have that as the underpinning of their adult life. And silence is democratic. Well, it's curious to me that these two things have this in common. There's a question there and there's no answer, but then I think the answer is just silence. And everything else takes care of itself because the world happens in this wonderful way. Well, it it just makes sense to me too as a, you know, as a comment here is I this is some of the work I currently do is silence and education and and I just feel like we're recovering an ancient path that if you look in Western educational, if you go back to Pythagoras and all those, we know now that there was a lot of silence taught in those schools. Like, you know, there's a Pythagoras, you had to be quiet for a long period of time before you started doing your math. Uh, you know, so there, it, it seems to me that somewhere along the line, the way you just articulated it, we got into words and some things that are indoctrination and violence and non-democratic it, it, it seems to me we should be recovering the stuff you're talking about so well the violence uh, uh, in essence comes from the the lack of silence mm-hmm. and the privilege for discourse and all the sort of variations on that that, that go along with speed mm-hmm. so testing elite ideas of what matters rather than freedom yes it is this is it's a very complicated area but if you're out of it if you've got a vested interest it's really hard to see forgive the pun if it is a pun the wood for the trees but mm. if, if you're out of it and you don't have any personal stake in education you can you can talk about it in this sort of negative way whilst also identifying the, the positive possibilities that I've alluded to with you know alternative and democratic education I think I think you need and th- this is possibly what silence gives I think you need to have a free mind and you need to be unafraid and you and, and out of that comes the ability to criticize this disgusting situation mm-hmm. mm. it's, by the way mm-hmm. because they all vested interest and that's okay mm. that's i don't see that that really is a problem except of course that people suffer tremendously but never mind <laughs> yeah mm. our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence please take a breath and be present in the silence
Yeah, I, that kind of answers, you know, another one of our questions, but I wonder if you would have any more kinds of advice for teachers, parents, or students to make silence a more integral part of the educational process. Believe in it. Mm. it w w one of the things that, c that came out of the research for the book was that people have to talk about it. You know, I know that's ironic, but it <laughs> is important. Look, what, what, what are you doing here? You're talking about silence, aren't you? You're mm. creating lots of encounters where people talk about silence to get the concept. And if they can get the concept, then maybe they can start to believe in it. It's a bit like and going back to this whole Christian thing of spreading the word. And, and doesn't the Bible say that people should try and spread the concept of Jesus and Christianity? Yeah, evangelization, right. right. I think it's for me, it's the same thing with silence. If I have a, a religion that I'm going to spread around, it would be it would be nice that that was more about silence. But I'm not. I'm not striving to talk about it, frankly, because I think I tried a bit of that with the film and post film, trying as an academic to kind of get my name built up on the fact I do research on silence. And it just became a little bit sickening and counterproductive mm. and, and went totally against what mattered about the work that I was doing and what matters to me personally. So I've shut up now and that's great. You know, uh, it's, lo it's lovely to talk with you today. And and I got, I got an email earlier actually that a country that shall at this point remain nameless they want to translate not a country I mean someone in a country they want to translate the silence in schools book and so I love that kind of thing of course it really makes me happy but I can take it or leave it mm -hmm. and, and that's something that I've I've learned by getting it wrong Helen that's something that. Cassidy and Kevin and I have talked about, and to use kind of another fancy word, a Greek word that appears in the New Testament, this concept of kenosis or of humility or, or emptiness, that to do the kind of work that we're doing, you know, to, to be advocates for silence, there is a paradox because to speak about silence is to interrupt the silence. And so this, this kind of continual dance of wanting to invite into silence, but not wanting to preach or to proselytize or to push. And sometimes I think maybe we're a bit overzealous and sometimes maybe we're underzealous, you know, that we don't want to be passive about this. We think that, that our culture, the human community needs silence, that, that, that it's alarming how loud our culture has become. But if we're not careful, then we're contributing to the noise rather than creating a space for silence. So I think this is something maybe all artists or poets or musicians or evangelists, if you will, who are committed to silence, it's a tension we all have to play with. Yeah. Is there a particular person that you would call a silence hero for you? And it, maybe it isn't a person. Maybe it's a uh, a work of art or uh, I, I don't know. But uh, we always ask the question, is there somebody who kind of stands out for you? And it could be a personal, you know, it could be your a relative or a friend that we don't even know. Maybe it's a famous person. It isn't. But a silence hero for you, somebody who kind of holds that space for you, is inspiration for you. Um, I don't think 
of Jesus in terms of silence, although he had some uh, some silence going on for sure, you know. Um, I'm not confident enough to point to those moments. I'm just thinking of that. Uh, it was just before he got caught and he went on the hill. Mm-hmm. The Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah, that one, yeah. Yep. So he, he he's uh, he's profiling it a fair amount. Um, that's fine. And I think that's a sort of a possibly an obvious example. Mm-hmm. It's not the one that is at the heart of, of my deep admiration, just because mine is focused on, on Holy Mother, mm-hmm. uh, Sri Ramakrishna's wife. And I it- like the fact a woman and and you stumbled upon her in your work with Vedanta is is that the way you were first introduced or did you know before or do you stumble on holy mother ah great response yes I I have I, I want to backtrack a little I just love the you know we're kind of all talking about just the, the paradox of talking about silence and all of this and you know, I have this thought of when we talk about silence, does it become poisonous? Does it become noise when our ego is involved or when our ego is introduced? Well, I, I think we have to cut ourselves some slack, right? So we're not perfect. And if mm-hmm. some ego comes in when we're talking about silence, that's OK, because, you know, that's that's who we are. But on the whole, I think it comes with practice, maybe, or rather a familiarity with the presence of silence in that it is what it is, which is sort of sacred. And therefore, if you are yabbering on, if one is yabbering on about silence for an extended period and you haven't noticed silence is with you, what are you doing? Question mark. And so it's a, it, it would, it would, I think for me, it's, it's a kind of a conversation or an exchange or a, a checking in all the time. If I were to have a conversation about silence and I don't notice that person, in inverted commas, of silence in the room listening into the conversation, well, then I'm talking a lot of rubbish. And that, that goes a step further, which is if I am talking and silence is in the room, then it's not me that's talking, kind of. You know, I, I, I don't have enough intelligence to talk about silence coherently. So if anything that I personally was ever going to say that was decent about silence, well, it's not it's not me that's saying it. Um, but, you know, without getting spooky, hooky pooky on on that, I sure have opinions about silence, but they're my opinions and they're the same as everybody else's opinions, uh, whoever speaks about silence with any kind of decent content. I mean, I agree with the people who talk about silence uh, a lot because they they talk some really great stuff. So who knows who's saying it or where it comes from, but there's there's lots of value in ego, non-ego. I don't know what it is. There's lots of value in people talking about silence because it's lovely content. It's lovely stuff. It makes you feel really nice. It makes you feel able to connect back up with silence. So what's the problem? Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, um, I've just stuck it, actually. I found it. This, uh, hang on, I've got to pick this up. Right, so I'll tell you the story of this. 
I was working in, in an academic job. This happened about two years ago. And I don't know how I came across it, but I definitely didn't go looking for it. It suddenly popped up on one of these social media feeds or something like this. And it was somebody had taken from the introduction to the Silence in Schools book a piece of it, and I'll read you it. But they they had they had done it really nicely over a picture of the sea and then put an eagle at the bottom. And I was like, oh, wow, that's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Look, I'll show you if you can see it. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, so they did this really nice job on it. I printed it off because I liked it so much. And it says, silence is the new oil. From a global perspective, both are sourced and mined with effort from the depths. Both involve a power of transformation that can change the world. Dr. Helen E. Lees. And I thought, oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a point about that, actually. I had a conversation with someone who took it upon themselves, whatever motivation of their own, to read my Silence in Schools book. And the introduction, which is this thing about oil, they, they, they basically took the piss and they laughed at it and they laughed at me. And so I thought, oh, OK, well, that's different perspective. I didn't know that anyone would think like that, but everybody's free to think how they feel. Anyway, but I was thinking about this yesterday because I was just tidying my office and found that and I was, yeah. And I was thinking, actually, I think that anybody that takes the mickey out of the idea that silence is a source of transformation has totally lost their moral uh, guidebook. They sure. they really haven't got a clue about how to live. And I'm not I'm not saying that the introduction to the sciences school book is you know, the most profound piece of work in the world and nothing like that. But it mattered to me to put it as the introduction. And I thought at the time, I think this makes, this sends a message, this says something. And I still think that and I'll stand by it. But I think that it is a very interesting for me. It's an interesting test of who's a good person, who's a bad person. If they read it and they go, yeah, yeah, there's something like that. Then, as far as I'm concerned, they've made it as a human being. If they read it and they think, what a load of rubbish, ha ha, let's take a piss, uh, I'm afraid they need to go back to school because mm. they, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. I think more and more as time is going on, I'm starting to feel sad that, like, that, that this, that the person like that is that lost, that they don't recognize that, that they could be in touch with something, like you just said, so transformative, the source of all things, you know, the, the open, to the potential to all things it's it's uh it really is to think they've gotten so twisted up that they don't know or or maybe yeah. maybe it is a maybe they like the fact that they're twisted up because they can control it and manipulate and i don't know well i mean we don't have the answers to that all all i think about that is that i don't think it's any of our business what is going on with anybody it's just that if i wanted to have a friend or, or connect with somebody mm-hmm. if they thought that the idea of silence as transformative and as a source of goodness was a, a stupid, hilarious idea. I wouldn't want to know them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah. in the world, right? So, mm-hmm. but like you said, I mean, you said you were saying it earlier, and this is part of the work that you're doing, I'm sure. This idea that um, the world, you know, a lot of people, uh, the world population are losing touch with silence in the world is becoming busier people are becoming 
more noisy, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it's our business. Mm. Interesting. I don't know. What do you think? Is it our business? That's a very good question. That's a very good question to ask, actually. I, and I'm glad you asked it because it feels uh, that leads back into what you said before. And it's a, a, a tension that has always happened, right? On some level, evangelizing, talking and spreading the message, can it turn into can it turn into something violent and harmful if I'm the way I spread the message? You know, and maybe the question you're asking is that our business. Uh, can ground us back in the silence so that we can evangelize without being uh, in a democratic, nonviolent, loving, generous way, as opposed to being uh, forceful about it or, or, or manipulative about it. But I do think there's a difference between being kenotic and being passive. Right. And, and I think mm-hmm. that we do have to advocate for silence because noise extends beyond where it is generated. Noise by its nature is public and political. So whether we like it or not, silence needs to be political as well. This is something I'm struggling a lot with my writing. Uh, Helen, I'm a a writer of contemplative Christianity, and I have tended to avoid politics, especially in my blog and, and my other writing. And really, over the last year, I've been in discernment about, is, is there a place for a contemplative writer to write about politics? And increasingly, I'm coming to see that, that there needs to be a place, even though it takes me way out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's kind of like, there's this, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, there's, there's, there's graced silence, but there's also toxic silence. And the toxic mm-hmm. silence is the silence of erasure, the silence of censure. And, you, you know, the, the, for me, the biggest, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a white male, a, a educated, affluent white male. I have the privileges, but I also have self-censorship. So, so I, can, I can erase my own voice. So at any rate, it's something that, that, that I think we're all, we're all reflecting on. But, um, but yeah, you know, just because we may feel called to advocate for silence doesn't mean that we are called to be in any way dominating or imperious in how we advocate for silence. It's just it's a very, very rich question. I think I see it in a very particular way, and it's to do with that thing that Jesus said, or somewhere somebody said it, which is about uh, not denying Jesus, or not de- mm-hmm. if, if someone asks you if you're a Christian. That's right. You, you know, and when when someone when people say, "Are you a Christian?" if they ask me, "Am I a Christian?" I, I struggle with the answer because uh, there are lots of problems to do with the politics uh, of Christianity in the world, mm-hmm. um, and. So I, I kind of always reply, um, well, I love Jesus or something. But he, it's in that sense that silence is, and talking about it happens, isn't it? Which is, if we don't talk about silence, if we recognize that it has these characteristics of the divine and of grace, and if we don't talk about it, if we don't stand up for it, then we are denying the divine and, and the grace. Yes. That's right. And and Helen, I, I want to be sensitive to time here, but this, I mean, it kind of comes back to what you said earlier in the conversation. You said, I don't know what silence is if it's not grace. I don't know what grace is if it's not silence. And just recognizing, you know, that silence can be 
that meeting place where we can come forth with that ethical, moral compass um, in order to speak truth. <clears throat> mm. Mm. It's just so powerful. I mean, there's a lot of books called The Power of Silence for a reason. And politically, it can be very powerful. But I'm not sure that we know enough yet about how. Well, that's mm. for, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Mm. What well, a beautiful, humble statement. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for your work, yeah. your book, your your interview in Pursuit of Silence, and, in, and the full transcript and the notes of silence were so lovely for me. And it's great to be able to look you in the eye and tell you that. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you. The pleasure's been ours. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Thank you.